What a wonderful song, Brother Richard. Thank you. I've, I've never heard that song. Uh, it's a beautiful song. You make them up as you go along. That doesn't surprise me. If you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to open up to the book of John chapter 6 and put your finger there in John chapter 6 and then flip over to the book of Matthew chapter 14. John chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14. Uh, we're drawing near to the end of our study in the miracles of Jesus. We've been looking at, uh, over the last several months, different miracles of Christ, how he, how he fed the hungry, how he healed the lame, how he cured the, the diseased, how he cast out demons, how he multiplied the bread and the fish, and all of the different miracles of Christ. Uh, and over the, next several, uh, over the next several months, we are going to embark upon uh, a study on the book of Daniel. I've been uh, wanting and desiring to, to, to go back to the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, the last book I preached out of the Old Testament was the book of Esther. Uh, and really, really enjoyed the book of Esther. Uh, and so I've been wanting to go back and, and preach from the Old Testament. Uh, and I preached through the book of Daniel the first few chapters, but always chicken out when I get to the prophecies. And so, so I am committed uh, over the next several months uh, that we're going to get all the way through the book of Daniel. We're not going to stop whenever, whenever the book of Daniel begins to, to talk about prophecy and, and the things that are to come. Uh, but we're going to go all the way through the book of Daniel. We're going to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Nebuchadnezzar. But then we're also going to talk about all of the prophetic things uh, that are found in the book of Daniel. So I'm very excited about that over the next several months. But until we get there, we're going to finish preaching about the, and teaching about the miracles of Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 15 through 21. <clears throat> Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening had came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting in a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up because of the strong wind that was blowing. When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Flip over to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 32. <clears throat> and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. After he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And it was e when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately... Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water 
came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are providential. We thank you that, that even the wind and the waves obey your commands. God, we pray this morning, Lord, that as we study your word, that you may speak to our hearts, that we may hear not what a preacher has to say, but that we may hear what your word has to say to our hearts. Lord, may you encourage us. May you edify us. Lord, may you convict us of sin. Lord, may we become obedient. May we become disciples who follow you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, I want us to notice how this passage begins. Both passages in John's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel. Now, uh, I mentioned last week that there, that there are only a few miracles that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. This is one of them. Uh, there, are, there are many miracles that happen. Uh, uh, in fact, in the end of John's Gospel, in fact, in fact, go with me. I want to remind you of this passage. The very last passage, very last verse. Sorry, I didn't give you this one, Chris. John chapter 21, verse 25. John writes at the very end of his gospel, he says this. He says, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books in which they were written. So the gospels are not an exhaustive account of all of the things that, that Jesus had done. There's no possible way that, that we could exhaustively communicate everything that Christ did while he was here on this earth. And so each of the Gospels gives us an account of the life of Jesus from that eyewitness's perspective, from Matthew's perspective, or from John Mark's perspective, or from Luke's perspective, or from the Apostle John's perspective. And so they're going to include different different miracles, different signs, different wonders that, that stood out to them, that, that spoke to them. And so it's interesting that all four of the Gospels give us an account of Christ, Jesus, walking on the water. But I want us to notice how this begins. It begins with Jesus going away by himself. It, it, it begins, the, the, the miracle of Christ walking on the water begins with Jesus secluding himself, Jesus, Jesus going away, leaving his disciples, going off by himself. And Matthew tells us he went off by himself to be intimate with the Father. He went off by himself to pray. And I think it's interesting that in times of trial, in times of, of difficult circumstances, Jesus' response was, was to get away. And not to get away and go to the beach, and not to get away and, 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 and go, go fishing, or to get away and, and, and go shopping, as, as my, my wife thinks that that's the, 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 the cure-all. You know, whenever she's having a bad day, she just goes and spends money and all of a sudden feels better. All of a sudden, that makes me have a bad day. Nevertheless, <laughs> Jesus' response was to get away and spend time with his Father. Now, I want to point out that not all trials and not all hardships are steeped in, in bad circumstances. John tells us 
that the trial that Jesus was undergoing was because they wanted to make him king. That's, by our perspective, not a bad thing. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, we want to give you fame, power, influence, money, status. We want to bestow this upon you. You're thinking, all right, I've arrived. This is not a bad thing. But I want us to notice that Jesus understood that this was not what God's desire, this was not God's purpose for him. So for him, it was a, a trial, it was a circumstance, it was a, an aspect that was contrary to God's purpose for his life. Not all trials and hardships and circumstances are bad. Whenever you're a new couple, a newlywed couple, and, and you're scraping by to make ends meet, and the wife comes to you and she says, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. That's not a bad thing. But it sure makes balancing the checkbook hard. It sure makes that mortgage payment a little more difficult to pay. Hardships and circumstances and trials aren't always bad. But they are nevertheless trials and hardships and circumstances. It's so good to see Brother James back uh, this week from China. And, and uh both Summer and James can say you know, on the other side, now that he's home, right, Summer, that it was a good thing that he went, but it's a better thing that he's home. And, and so trials and circumstances and hardships aren't always bad. Sometimes they're just life. But I want us to notice that Jesus sought comfort and direction from the Father. He went away. He didn't get on Facebook. He didn't call his buddies. He went away to be with the Lord, to be with his heavenly Father. Now, I want to point out to you uh, that both accounts, both John's gospel and Matthew's gospel, says that the sea was contrary, that the winds were blowing, that the waves were crashing upon the boat. Now, there's a reason for that. There's a, a geographical region. There's a meteorological, if that's a word, uh, reason that, that this was taking place. The Sea of Galilee actually sits 600 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by, by hills and mountainsides. And, and as we know, uh, just from this past week, whenever, uh, whenever cold air meets warm, moist air, it creates storms. And this is exactly what you had in the Sea of Galilee and in that region. You had the warm, moist air that was coming off of the Sea of Galilee from 600 feet below sea level and all of the cool air coming from the hill region and the mountainous regions surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And when that cool air would come across the sea and meet that warm, moist air over the sea, it would oftentimes create squalls and storms that would pop up instantaneously. Now, many people have, and many scholars have, have speculated that, that the boat was not in the center of the sea, but rather that the disciples, because it was nighttime and because, uh, because of the, the tumultuous nature of the sea, that they were rowing around the Sea of Galilee to get to the other side, rather than across the Sea of Galilee. And that's just inconsistent with the text. The text tells us, if you go to John's Gospel, look at John's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, verse 17. <clears throat> and after getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea. You don't cross the sea by going around the circumference of the sea. You cross the sea. 
the, the, the scripture tells us that they were about three or four miles, which is about, uh, as, as Matthew tells us, which is, uh, they were several stadia away from, the, away from land, which tells us that they were about in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. These were seasoned fishermen. They weren't afraid to cross the Sea of Galilee. These were men who lived their life in a boat, lived their life in the sea. And so for them to cross the sea in the middle of the night, they did most of their fishing in the middle of the night. This was not a, a, an un, unparamounted obstacle for them. They get in a boat and they cross the sea. Now, although they were seasoned fishermen and they spent the majority of their life fishing in the water, the scripture tells us that they were afraid. And this is not the first time they're afraid. Do you remember this, the, the, the gospel's account of whenever Jesus calmed the storm and the scripture says that Jesus was in the bow of the boat and he was sleeping and the disciples woke him up and they say, do you not care about us? We're dying. The, the, the waves are crashing. The boat's about to break apart. So while they were indeed seasoned fishermen, they were aware and they were, they were capable at sailing this vessel across the sea, they were still men. They were still human. I've been fishing a lot, more than my wife may have liked me to fish. Uh, and you've been, I, I've been out on the sea uh, in open water. I've been uh, in, in the marsh. I've been in lakes. Uh, but whenever you're out in the middle of the ocean and a storm comes up, you get scared. It is, it is a real cognizance that, you know what, we are a little vessel, and this is a big, angry sea. It's important for us to understand a couple of things. All throughout the gospel, all throughout scripture, especially John, there are some thematic consistency throughout the gospel and they're this that darkness always symbolizes the absence of either god or christ always go with me if you will to the book of john chapter 11 verses 9 through 10 darkness is always synonymous with the absence of god specifically the absence of christ look at john chapter 11 verse 9 <clears throat> this is the story of Lazarus. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. The disciples were, Jesus said, we got to go back to, to Judea. We have to go back uh, to Judah because Lazarus is dead. We have to go back to Bethany. And they said they were just trying to kill you there. And the, Jesus has answered this. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not upon them. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John chapter 3, verse 2. John chapter 3, verse 2. This man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and says to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these things, these signs and wonders, unless God is with him. Nicodemus being, being unaware, being without Christ, being being someone who was a Pharisee, someone who kept the letter of the law, yet not yet enlightened, not yet coming to faith in Christ, comes to Jesus at night apart from Christ. John chapter 13, verse 30. John chapter 13, verse 30. Judas, at the Lord's Supper, 
It says in verse 29, For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, and Jesus was saying to him, Buy these things we have need for the feast, or else that you should give, some, give something, some money to the poor. After receiving the morsel, verse 30, he went out immediately, and it was night. When did Judas betray Christ? At night. When was Jesus arrested? At night. When was the trial before Annas and Caiaphas? At night. Night and darkness all throughout Scripture, especially in the Gospels, is synonymous with the absence of Christ. And here, the disciples get in the boat and they cross the sea when? At night. In both accounts, Matthew's account and in John's account, it emphasizes the fact that they were crossing the sea at night. And who was absent? Jesus. Darkness, nighttime, is always synonymous with an absence of Christ. Similarly, the sea is often throughout Scripture synonymous for chaos and disorder. There was, there was an a, a understanding all throughout the Old Testament. We're going to look at several passages throughout the book of Psalms that the sea was synonymous for disorder and for chaos and for, and for wickedness. Go with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 65, just so you know I'm not making this stuff up. Psalm chapter 65, verses 5, 6, and 7. The psalmist David writes this. He says, By awesome deeds thou dost answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation, thou who art our trust from all the end of the earth, and from the farthest sea, the sea being that of chaos, who dost establish the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who dost still the roaring of the seas and the roaring of the waves and the tumult of the peoples. The sea and the waves were synonymous with, with chaos and disorder. And it says that God stills that disorder. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. O Lord, the God of hosts, who is like thee, O mighty Lord, thy faithfulness also surrounds thee. Thou dost rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. There is a reality that, that there is chaos and there is, there, is, there is disorder in our lives, but God is the one who can calm that chaos. Psalm 107, verse 23 through 32. Psalm 107, 23 through 32. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and the wonders of the deep, for he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted the waves of the sea. They rose up to heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits' end. When they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. When they were glad because they were quiet, he guided them to their desired haven. He let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for the wonders of his, the sons of men. He let them extol him in the congregation of people, and praise him at the seat of the elders. The sea was synonymous with disorder and chaos. Darkness was synonymous with, with the absence of God, the absence of Christ. And here was where the disciples were. They were in the middle of the sea, in the middle of darkness. And I imagine that there are some of us here this morning who are right there. Your world is chaotic. 
it is disorder. And you're looking around and you see the waves of life crashing. You see the bills coming. You see the, the, the family dynamic being, being completely shattered. And, 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 and you're looking around and there's no, there's, there's a logical reason why there's this chaos. Because it's darkness. There's an absence of Christ. There's an absence of God. Well, let us be reminded that in the times of chaos and darkness, Christ is our comfort. He stills the waters and brings light to the darkness. I have many, many memories as a child with my dad. One of my fondest memories was whenever my dad took me and my brother squirrel hunting and we were staying at this guy's property and and as as a boy there's nothing more exciting about tent camping you get to go out in the woods you pitch a tent you build a fire you do you shoot guns you go fishing you do boy stuff you 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 get dirty and you don't have to take a bath you 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 can eat whatever you want to eat and you don't have to wash your hands there's you you can go to the bathroom outside and it's, it's okay, and you don't have to hear mom and mom fuss at you. Why are you going to the bathroom outside? It's you, you, a boy is able to be a boy. And so we were, we were, we were camping, <coughs> and, and we, were, we had you know, pitched the tent, and we were, we were building a fire, and, and everything was wonderful. And, and, and you, were in, you were in heaven, and me and my brother and my dad were, were, were in the tent, and about... Two o'clock in the morning, it started to rain. And it didn't just start to rain, it was raining. And it wasn't a light drizzle, there was thunder clapping, there was lightning striking, and it was raining cats and dogs. And this little, this little tent that we had, uh, that it, it in no way, shape, or form kept us dry. And and we are we are we are now, you know, the the, the tent is is now the water has intruded in the tent and the water is slowly moving to the center and any, any dry sleeping bags or clothes is being huddled to the center as we're trying to, to, to stay dry. And we wake up in the middle of this storm and my brother and I are in this tent and we look around and dad is gone. And, and we're like, okay, this is, this is not good. And you know, he's, probably, he's probably six or seven, maybe eight years old and I'm about 10 and, and we're scared. There's lightning crashing. Everything that we have is getting soaking wet. And, and it's a bad day. Well, just about that time, whenever we're beginning to get panicked, Dad opens up the tent. He scoops me and my brother up simultaneously and rushes us, runs us to a nearby hay barn, throws us up on top of the hay bale throws dry sleeping bags up on top of the hay bale, gets all the, the gear and everything out of the tent, and all of a sudden, instantaneously, we went from being terrified and, and uncertainty and chaos to at peace. He had, he had, Dad saved the day, and we were now dry, we were comfortable, and we went to sleep. 
the storm was still raging. The lightning was still clapping. The, the, the thunder was still, you know, it was still pouring down rain. The difference was we were there with Dad. And everything was going to be okay. It's, it's similar to now when the lightning or when the power goes out. And the kids are, are terrified. And mom and dad walk into the room with a candle. And they say, it's okay. Power's going to come back on. Nothing changes. The circumstances doesn't change. The power's still out. The storm's still raging. There's lightning. There's, there's trees falling. Everything remains the same. The difference is mom and dad are there. And it's going to be okay. I want you to notice Jesus' response as he shows up in the midst of the middle of the sea, in the middle of the darkness, with the waves and the wind crashing. Look, if you go uh, to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, notice Jesus' response. John chapter 6, verse 19. When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because there was wind and there was rain and there was storms and, and they didn't know what was going to happen. There was an uncertainty. And Jesus' response wasn't, well, let me fix your situation. Jesus' response was, well, let me make it to where you're not three or four miles away from the sea. Let me make it to where you're not, it's not nighttime anymore. Let me make it to where there's no more storms. Jesus' response, look at the very next passage. Don't be afraid. I'm here. What a comfort. It wasn't, don't be afraid, nothing bad's ever going to happen in your life. It wasn't, don't be afraid, I'm going to fix your circumstances. It's, don't be afraid, I am here. The storm still raged. Life still kicks you in the teeth. The mortgage is still due. The utility bill still has to be paid. The surgery still has to take place. There is still chaos. They're still in the middle of the sea. The difference is the light of the world has just showed up. And while they're surrounded by darkness, there in the middle of that boat, it's no longer dark. Jesus is here. We may not be relieved of pain, suffering, and circumstances, but he's with us. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27. That's Mark, Preston. Jesus tells this parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rain descends and the flood came, and the winds blew and burst against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell. And it was a great fall. As we see this parable, there's a comparison between two men. One who built his house upon the rock and one who built his house upon the sand. Now, 
it's important for us to understand that the same storm hit both homes. The difference was, was one went through the storm with Christ. And there was comfort. And there was peace. And there was a steadfastness. Why? Because we don't have to be afraid. Because Christ was with us. The circumstances were exactly the same. And whenever we go through life circumstances, the world is, the world is not impressed, church, whenever we are exempt from the circumstances of life. The world is not impressed because we drive a BMW. The world is not impressed because we have X amount of dollars in our 401k. What strikes the world and what, what causes the world to say there's something different is whenever, whenever life kicks us in the teeth and whenever, whenever the, the, the cancer takes those who love us and whenever, whenever there's a loss of a child or whenever, whenever there is unbelievable loss and unbelievable pain and unbelievable circumstances and we say Christ is enough. And we say it doesn't matter what this world takes from me, Christ is enough. I count all things to be lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. That's when the world says there's something different about them. That's the difference between the house built upon the rock and the house built upon the sand. It's not that they're exempt from the storm. It's that when the storm comes, we can look and we can say, but with Christ in the boat, we can smile at the storm. Jesus is walking on the water. This is interesting, because if we look at both at, at all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the account is the same. They see Jesus walking on the water. Matthew's account says they thought it was a ghost. Because when you see somebody walking across the water, naturally you think, well, that cannot be a human being because they're walking on top of the water, so it must be a ghost. Matthew tells us they thought it was a ghost. John's Gospel just said they were scared to death whether it was because they thought it was a ghost or because they were about to die from the storm. We don't know, but they were afraid. They see Jesus walking on the water. And for many of us, this is a difficult passage. <coughs> Jesus is walking on the water. And let me remind us, church, that Jesus, being the creator of the universe, you say, well, I thought God created everything. Well, let me go back to the John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, and let us remind us of who indeed was the creator of all things. Verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, Him being the Word, by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So the Word was the author of all things. Verse 14 tells us exactly who that Word was. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you go back in Genesis chapter 1 and you look at the account of creation, it says that God spoke the worlds into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let the expanse team with, with uh, or, or, or let the waters be separated into expanse. God said, God said, God said, God said. Every time God created in the gospel and the Genesis account, He does so by the spoken word. The scripture tells us that Jesus is that spoken word. So Jesus is the instrument of creation. When you are the instrument of creation, when you are the author of creation, creation obeys your command. You are not at the behest of the created world. Jesus, because he was the creator, had the authority 
to suspend the natural order that he created in order to accomplish his glory. Say, how is it that Jesus can turn five loaves of bread and two fish and feed thousands? Because Jesus was the creator of all matter. And so he could suspend the natural order of things for his purpose and glory. How is it that Jesus can calm the storm and calm the sea because Jesus was the creator of the wind, the creator of the waves, the creator of the water, that all things are subject to his command. And so when Jesus walks out on the water, he has the authority to suspend natural order. Why? Because he is the author. He is the one who is in authority over it. Have you ever been sitting in a red light and all of a sudden this car comes flying by you right through the red light? You think, that's not fair. He gets to go through the red light. And then you realize that he's got a flashing light on top of his car and, and sirens blaring. The reason that he, can, that he can suspend the law is because he is an authority over the law. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm, saying, I'm not saying that a deputy has the authority to, to, to disobey the law. But, but because they are in control, because our government is in control, they have the opportunity to suspend the natural order of things. I've been in a funeral procession. The cop stops all the traffic and you run through red light after red light after red light. Why? Because they have the authority to change the law as they see fit for the greater purpose. Same principle, same concept. There are natural laws and natural order that, that, that God has created in this world. Water's wet when, stuff, when something's heavy or dense that is denser than water, is in water, it sinks. That's what happens. That's why when you throw a rock in a, in a lake, it doesn't float, it sinks. That's why boats float, because, because they're filled with, with air and, and they're dent, they're, they're, or, or foam. They're filled with something that is, that is less dense than water. And they don't sink. A person is not less dense than water. They sink. My little boy who is four, understood this very, very, uh, this very physical uh, lesson in physics very well. Last summer, he walked to the deep end trying to get something out of the pool. He fell in, and he sunk like a stone to the bottom. And, and Daniel and Anna said, Nicholas is in the bottom of the pool. And, and I jump in, and I pull him up, and, and he realized very quickly he doesn't float. But Christ, being the author of the natural order of things and the one who not only created the natural order of things but who sustains it is able to suspend it for his glory now i want to remind us that while christ has the authority to suspend the natural order of things there are some things that both god and christ must be in subjection to God is bound by his own character. He is bound by his own righteousness. He is bound by his own law. And that law is that God is righteous and holy and just. And we're not. We are sinful and wicked and deserving of death and condemnation so here was this here was this great conundrum this this great problem you have a a holy just god who desires relationship desires a communion with sinful people 
and there's a problem because God can't compromise his holiness and his righteousness and his, his justice. And you have a sinful people that God desires to commune with and desires to fellowship with. So how does he reconcile this? Because he can't just say, oh, well, we'll just pretend like it never happened because it did. We're sinners. We lie. We cheat. We steal. Why? Because we're sinners. Given the opportunity to, to, to do evil, we choose evil. Ask my kids. God has the ability to suspend the natural order of things, but he is bound by his own character. He is bound by his own righteousness. And he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He cannot allow sin to go un, unpunished or else he would be unjust. He would, his righteousness would be compromised. That's why God paid the penalty of sin on our behalf. The just, the righteous judge became the justifier. Go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3. Everybody knows Romans 3.23. It's one of the first verses that we learn. But what's sad is after we learn Romans 3.23, we stop. And we don't learn Romans 3.24, 25, and 26 because that's the rest of the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all know this passage, but keep reading. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Propitiation is just a fancy word for payment. In his blood, through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance and the, in the patience of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time that he might be both just and the justifier of one who has faith in Christ. That, all that says this, that God satisfied his righteous requirement for condemnation of sinners by dying in our place sin deserved death and god while he can suspend the natural order while he can walk on water he can he can keep feed five thousand people with five loaves of bread two fish he can take a dead man and he can raise him up he can suspend natural order he cannot suspend the righteous requirements that he has set forth in his character and in his law because that would be in contrary to his own being his own essential nature and so God says, I have to be righteous. Well, then how do I commune with sinners? He came down to earth, and he died in our place. The death that was due us because of God's righteous requirements of the law was satisfied when Christ hung on a cross and said, it's finished. It's paid in full. Now God the just was satisfied when Christ died for you and for me what a glorious gospel and this morning if your life if you're in the middle of the sea and you're in the middle of darkness the good news of the gospel is that jesus wants to be right there with you right in the middle he'll promise to give you peace and comfort in the midst of the storm but you've got to allow him to come in. You've got to forsake your sin, and you've got to trust Christ. You've got to place your faith and trust 
in the finished work of Christ. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to do that. Just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If this morning, if you find yourself in chaos, in the middle of the sea, in darkness without Christ, I want to invite you to come. Come and give your life to Christ. It's not going to make your life better. You're not going to be immune to bad things in life, but what you'll be promised is that Jesus will be with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you simply need to be reminded that Christ is with us. Christ is with us in the midst of our storms. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that when the storms rage, when we find ourselves in the midst of chaos, when we find ourselves in the midst of of darkness, that we can be assured that you are with us. That we can be comforted by the statement, don't be afraid. I'm here. Lord, we thank you that when trials come, when hardship comes, we can find solace and intimacy with the Father. Maybe you're here this morning and you simply needed to be reminded that our response in the midst of hardships needs to be to come to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to give your life to Christ. You need to stop trying to fix things on your own. And you need to come and trust Jesus. Or maybe this morning you realize that that this is the place that God has you serving. That he desires you to be obedient. Become a part of what we're doing right here. What God's doing right here at Redeemer. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you this morning. May you find yourself obedient. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.